Right? We've heard a lot about, okay, this is the Lord is going to bring about his kingdom. He's going to do these things. This is how we believe the order that's going to occur. This is how we look at these things in the word. So when is that kingdom going to come? And when it does come, what is it going to look like? And what are some things that are going to happen before it, right? We've been talking about signs and things all the way. So what should we expect as Christians? And just like pretty much everything else, when you're talking about end times, there's some differing opinions. And the two big opinions, kind of with the title, are some people. We're, we're going to look at what's going to come for us as the church in the time between now and when Jesus raptures us. And they would say, well, things are just going to improve. We're going to keep moving. The church is going to keep going. We're going to keep evangelizing. The kingdom's going to move forward. And when finally the church has reached its height, where just we've encompassed the world and we've built and we've we've made things better, Jesus is going to return and inaugurate His kingdom. And you know what I what I love about that is it's upbeat and it's encouraging. But the struggle is it's not as biblical as I would like it to be. So what we're going to argue, what I'm going to argue tonight is that the second view is what's called the, the apostasy. And that is a little bit more of a downer. It says, I hate to tell you this, but things are going to go, the Bible says, from bad to worse. Now we can say that, and sometimes people teach that, and you can tell they're having fun with it. They, like, they get a glint in their eye and say, that's right, it's going to get worse and worse, and they get really into it. I'm just going to tell you, if that's the kind of teaching you like, I'm not going to be able to do that tonight. Because here's the thing, the apostasy is not a, entirely a pessimistic doctrine. We're going to talk about how it lifts a great weight off of our shoulders and allows us to look to Jesus to bring his kingdom in rather than to ourselves, which is a really wonderful thing. So the things that we're going to talk about, these are things, guys, that I actually, this has been a change in my outlook and the way I walk as a person. When I was a younger man, I thought differently on these things, and the Lord has changed my mind and, and educated me in the Word. And so I'm excited to kind of share these new things that I'm learning that, that are, man, they are, they are encouraging and they're a weight off of, off of my shoulders. So let's look at this. I'm, I'm, what we're going to argue is we're going to argue that the Bible teaches, if you're going to approach things, remember, from a pre-tribulation dispensational perspective, the Bible, we believe, teaches that there will be a great falling away, that the world will become a hard place, a difficult place, and, and difficult things will continue to happen as we get closer and closer to the rapture and the tribulation. Well, how do we know these things? We're going to spend a little bit of time in Luke 17 tonight. If you turn to Luke 17, and I'll read verses 20 through 30. This is Jesus speaking. He's got people around him and they're asking him these questions. And you remember people always want to ask Jesus about his kingdom. And, and we're going to be, a lot of what we're going to be talking about is going to be kind of review because we've touched on all these things through the weekend. People want to come ask him, Jesus, when are you going to, when are you going to do it? And remember the kingdom for Jews as, as both Pastor Troy and Pastor Tyler have taught, the kingdom was a real, this was not an academic question. This was like asking, when are we going to get liberated if you were living in occupied France in the 40s? That means like, hey, when are we going to fix this problem that we live with? When are you going to get these Romans, these Gentiles out of here that are profaning the streets of Jerusalem? And when are we going to return back to the kingdom that God intended us to have? If you're the Messiah, when are you going to bring it about? And there was prophecies in Scripture that they knew that said that was going to happen. They were asking, when are these things going to happen? So it says in Luke 17... Starting in verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. He answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here, do not go out and follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. 
Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Okay, now, as Pastor Troy was teaching, this passage is one that, first of all, like a lot of these passages, there's some difference of opinion. But you can find some near and some far fulfillment in this. Even as I read it, I, I, there's some things I'm sure that were sticking out to you. Where Jesus was saying, look, the kingdom of heaven is in the midst of you. Well, the near fulfillment, he's talking about, him, he's saying, I am here. I am the kingdom. I'm bringing it. Don't be looking to see what's going on with Rome. I'm right here. And of course, they missed that, as we, as we heard, and they denied that. So there's a near fulfillment. And he's saying, look, when I bring judgment, and the near fulfillment there would be 70 AD, so it's going to be quick, and you're not going to see it coming. It's going to happen suddenly. And that was also a thing that happened. They were not expecting that judgment to come, and Rome crushed them. But you can also see how there's some far fulfillment. All of a sudden, he starts talking about this judgment, and he's saying, just as it was in the days of Noah, and maybe that rings a bell, and you start realizing that there's some other passages in Scripture that compares the great judgment of water with the great judgment of fire that comes at the end, and you realize there's some parallels going on here. So what can we learn if we're going to read this, and we're going to expect that this is going to apply pretty simply and literally and understandably to us? What can we learn about the coming of the kingdom of God from this passage? How will, how will the kingdom of God be brought about? Remember, when we're talking about the kingdom of God, I'm, I'm saying, I believe, right, that there's going to be a literal thousand years of Jesus Christ physically reigning on this planet. And how is that going to come about? How will it, how will it happen? Well, verse 20 says, that's not going to come about in an external or an obvious way. He says the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. I read one commentator that said it might be better translated like you're not going to be able to pick it apart with questions. And he's kind of responding to them and saying, I see what you're doing, but that's not how the kingdom comes. You're not going to cross-examine the kingdom. And, and it's not a formula. It's going to come in a way that's not external or obvious. Verse 21 says it's already in the midst of us. Now, Jesus, the near fulfillment was Jesus was there. But already in the midst of us, we're going to talk about how that means that this is not a kingdom that men build. It's within us through the Holy Spirit that the Lord is going to do it. And then also, it's going to be something Jesus is going to make physical himself. It's already in the midst of us. Verse 23 says, we should not follow those who claim to make it visible. It says that if people say, oh, look, the kingdom of heaven, it's over here. We're going to make it happen over here. That that's not what we should be looking for. Verse 24 says, the Son of Man is going to bring it about suddenly. Both, again, in the near and the far fulfillment. Jesus said, I'm going to suffer, and then there's going to be this fulfillment. I'm going to bring it about myself. And then in the far fulfillment, he says in verse 24, that it's going to be sudden. The lightning is going to flash from one side to the other side, and boom, there it is. In other words, can you predict right when the lightning is going to flash? No, the lightning happens first, right? And then you know that the thunder is coming, but when it's going to happen quickly, and all of a sudden you're going to realize that was, the kingdom is happening. It's happening right now. You're not going to be able to predict that or anticipate it. And suffering is going to precede it, both in Jesus' day and in ours. Verse 25 says that first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And then finally, in verses 26 through 30, there's two different comparisons that it says are examples for us of what it's going to be like just before the kingdom. He talks about the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Okay, so what do we know about the days of Noah? Well, in the days of Noah, 
the world was a pretty crazy place. We know that there was a long time before, from between creation and when you know, the flood actually came. There was over a thousand years of people building a civilization and living a long time and doing all these things. And it's very clear that the earth became a very wicked place, a terrible place where all of a sudden you've got these strange demonic manifestations happening and the actual physical, the race of humans is being corrupted by these things. Just awful things are happening to the point where God says, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. I'm going to stop this. And I'm going to preserve one family. That's the judgment I'm going, to, I'm going to take. So, in the days of Noah, right before that ark closed, things were just about the worst they'd ever been. Right? The, right Noah was, hey, that ark was open. He was saying, I'm telling you, this is going to happen. No one would listen to him. The, that ark closed. And that was the extent of the wickedness that had ever happened on the earth at that point. How about the days of Lot? He's talking about, you know, the, the, what happened in Sodom. You've got a, a city that's an awful place, and it says that Lot dwelt in the gates. It's, he, in the gates of a, one of those old cities would be like the center of the power. And he's sitting there, and he's seeing what's going on. And the Bible says, I believe in Hebrews, it says that he was grieved. And remember, Lot wasn't even that great an example. Lot did some bad stuff. He made a bunch of mistakes. But even Lot would look and say, this is not right. Look at what is going on. And God you know, literally sends and snatches him out of there at the height of Sodom's wickedness. There's terrible things that you don't want to read to your kids are going on. And God sends this judgment. Suddenly, you, none of those people predicted, right? Because he had to send an angel to tell Lot this is happening. And so what we learn here is that normal, wicked world is going on and then there's a sudden judgment that happens and these are things that we are Jesus is telling us are, are ways for us to know this is what it's going to be like before the coming of his kingdom now this tells us that the success of god's kingdom jesus kingdom that's moving forward and remember there's a couple different just like a lot of things in prophecy there's a couple different ways that we can look at god's kingdom in one sense right in a very real sense what we're experiencing right now is a taste of Jesus' kingdom. We're, in, we're, we're enjoying each other's fellowship. We're learning from his word. The Holy Spirit is working. All these things are happening. This is great. This is a taste of what heaven's going to be like. And it should be encouraging to us. It's awesome. You, get in that, you know what's fun is you go on a mission trip, and that same thing happens over there. You meet somebody you've never met before, but they know Jesus, and so you have this fellowship. It's so cool, right? Now, that's not all the kingdom's ever going to be. Certainly, I sure hope so, right? Because there's a lot of unfulfilled prophecy about what we were talking about. Crazy things are going to happen. We're going to sit and be ruling and reigning with Jesus, and there's a city, and man, I, I want all that to happen too. This isn't all the kingdom is, but right now, we're, we're moving forward and doing the things Jesus is asking us to do. But the, in another sense, when we're talking about the kingdom, when we talk about the, the revelation kingdom, the thousand-year kingdom, that kingdom, according to Jesus as he's talking here, that's not going to depend on what government and culture and society looks like in the times leading up to it. How do I know that? Well, Noah was not able to reform the society and the culture and the government of the world that he was in leading up to that judgment. Noah didn't fix it all and then God said, okay, now I'm going to step in and I'm going to rule this area. That's not what happened. Didn't happen with Sodom either. And if it's going to happen as in those days in the future judgment, then what's going to lead up to it, we believe, and that's what we're going to talk about, is there's going to be a time of greater and greater apostasy where it's going to look like, in some senses, that the kingdom is not really advancing. You might look at it from the outside and say, this doesn't look like, this is not working. What's, what's God doing? There's going to be maybe even a sense of concern, or a little sense of urgency. And then all of a sudden, like a lightning flash, we talked about the rapture, and God is going to begin to judge, and he's going to bring, Jesus is going to bring his physical kingdom onto this planet.
Now, this was the mistake that the Jews made the first time, and Pastor Tyler talked about this. The Jews were looking for a Roman slayer. That's the kind of kingdom that they wanted, the kind of king they wanted. Fix our problem, please, Jesus. Look, we've got this problem. Take care of it for us. And they murdered their Messiah when he wouldn't obey their ambitions. But they forgot that God's kingdom has never been dependent on these external things. The external situation, the external achievement of man has not been what God's kingdom works on. It's always been by grace, through faith, and in the power of the Holy Spirit that the gospel has moved forward. And that's true, right? We talked about dispensations, right? And then what is a dispensation? It's a different way God has worked with his people, right? So if you look at the dispensation with, with Adam, in Adam's dispensation, how is Adam saved? Was it by how well he did? Nope, they pretty much just started making mistakes. So how was Adam saved? It was by God's grace. God gave him a way now out. God said, well, you have messed this up. So here I was wanting to give you one of the first things we read in Scripture is God says, I'm going to take this animal and cover you. And it's this wonderful picture, right, of how God's saying, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to cover your sin. Now, that's what happened with Noah. How about, well, but Abraham. Abraham's got it figured out by then. No, pretty much not. Abraham, we read, makes a lot of embarrassing mistakes. And God is working with Abraham and working with him. And, and we read even in the New Testament where it says, this is by faith that Abraham was doing this. And there were lots of times where you could be forgiven to look at Abraham and say, really, Lord? Like, I, this is the guy? This is the way? You're going to do it this way? He doesn't look all that great right now. We're in Egypt. He's lying about his wife being his... I mean, come on, this is not great. So if we choose to look at the outward in those places, we would say, no, the Lord's messing up. This kingdom is not happening. How about Israel? You look at Israel and how we've just been reading through Exodus. The law hasn't even gotten down the mountain to them and they're already messing up. <laughs> right? They can't even wait to actually sin against the Lord once the law comes down. They're getting it going before. They're saying, no, you know what? He's been up there, what, 40 days? Come on. Let's make, it, let's make an idol. Let's go. So in that dispensation, in, in that way of the Lord working with, with men, was it outwardly? Did it look like they were achieving it through their success? Not at all. It was still by grace through faith. It's always by grace through faith. John 18, 36. Jesus is saying, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. This is going to be really important because depending on what you believe about how Jesus' kingdom is going to come into this world, Right? Okay, it's not of this world. Right, but how are we going to get it here? Well, depending on what you believe, it's going to change how you feel when you see what goes on out in the world. Now, because one of the great joys for me of coming to an understanding of a literal dispensational pre-tribulation, you know, rapture position of Scripture, is I have been able to let go of my increasing anxiety and concern when I see the state of the world. Now, why is that? Well, because according to Scripture... Increasing evil and corruption is not supposed to surprise or trouble me. I am seeing these things that are occurring and I'm saying, yes, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus told me it was going to be just like in the days of Noah, right before the coming of the Son of Man. He said that things were going to go from bad to worse and we're going to read some of these prophecies in just a second about what we're supposed to see. And we look out in the world, we say, yep, pretty much. That's exactly what it's looking like out there. This is an encouragement to me because if I believe the other view, and there are many good friends that I have, that I talk to all the time, that I love, that are serving Jesus, that are working in his church, who they, because of the way that they believe about the end times, they are looking for, in some ways, a golden age of the church to come. 
before Jesus comes back. They're believing that Jesus' kingdom, if you are if you're believing in what's called a, a post-millennial way of interpreting these things, you're believing that Jesus comes back after this kingdom is set up, after a thousand years of perfect, wonderful spiritual reign by Jesus' church. And, and what you got to see is, hey, we got to make this happen so that Jesus can come back. And if you look out and you see the world getting worse and worse, your stress level goes up and up. And you begin to say, hang on a second, something's very wrong here. We're supposed to be improving. Things are supposed to be going better. And why am I reading about this brokenness in the church? Why am I reading about this brokenness in government? Something's not working right, if that's the position that you take. But thankfully, when I read scripture, and I don't say thankfully like I'm hoping for things to be bad, right? Of course, in some ways, this is tragic, and we should feel grieved when we see these things, just like Lot would feel when he looks out at what's going on. But thankfully, I understand why these things are going on, because the Lord warned me that this was going to happen. Matthew 24, 10 through 12 says, Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, Paul reminds, he says, understand this. In the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now what's amazing about that second list is that list is, is talking about, as I read it, my, as I understand it, there's some of those things in that list that seem to apply right to people outside of the church who are just living in this, in this deep sin out there. And, and that sometimes we read that list and like, yeah, that's right. Look at those people out there. Look how they're living. It's a sign of the end times. Well, it also points in some ways to what's inside the church. It says having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. These things will even be in the church. And unfortunately, we can confirm that in our day. We can say, yes, we see those things. We see failure within God's church. We see things that grieve us. You see, even, even between godly brothers and sisters, divisions and fighting over things that you feel like are secondary. And you say, Lord, God's church is not in a position where we're succeeding at the mission that you've given us. And you can feel discouraged. I've, I mean, you go on Twitter for five seconds if you're not discouraged yet. Come back. I'll wait, right? You can feel discouraged at the state even within the Lord's church. And you can say, Lord, if, this, if our mission is to build your kingdom, we cannot do it. We will not be able to do that. We won't be able to make your kingdom come down to earth because we can't barely take care of what's going on in our little church. We're struggling with that, Lord. How are we supposed to change the whole world and prepare it for your arrival and make everything good for a thousand years? A thousand years, I'd take like a good week at my house, you know? Like, and it feels discouraging, right? And you know what? That discouragement is taken away when we realize that the success of God's kingdom does not depend even on the strength of his church. How do I know that? Well... Check out the book of Revelation. Most of those churches didn't seem like they were doing that great. Jesus had a rebuke for each one of those churches. He said, okay, you're doing okay at this, but this is bad. In some churches, he mostly said, this is bad. He had lots of things to say to the different churches. And we see these people that are described that are sinning inside of the church, not just outside. And when we look around, a lot of those things that come up in the book of Revelation, they can apply to us. We read those and we say, wow, Lord, have I let my love grow cold? Am I lukewarm? Am I doing these things? Am I, have I left my first love? And it can, can be convicting to us. And that's all right. We don't need to feel condemned by that. We take that to the Lord and we ask, Lord, renew my love, renew my strength to walk in your Holy Spirit and to do these things. 
And when we see this weakness and apostasy and compromise even in the church, we see that this is something that Jesus told us to expect that it was going to continue. We believe that Jesus is coming imminently, right? It could happen at any time. And here's one of the cool things about the imminent, and we've talked about many cool things about the imminent rapture of Jesus. Here's one of those cool things. Imminent means I don't have to build his kingdom first. And here's why that's encouraging to me. is because if Jesus was imminently about to come back as soon as I finished building his kingdom, Jesus would never come back. Because I can't build Jesus' kingdom. I guarantee it, I can't do it. You know why? Because as a dispensationalist, I can look back at six failed dispensations of Jesus, Jesus giving me everything. He, giving the human race all of the tools to build his kingdom and us just failing. And it, now, is that a failure of Jesus? Has Jesus messed up? Paul talks about that in Romans. He says, it's not Jesus messing up. We have sinned, and Jesus is still giving us grace. It's like sometimes when I build something, I'm doing a house project, right? And, I, you know, Jack or Nora will want to come in and help me. <laughs> Which means the project takes much longer, and my frustration goes up, and I break it, and I take two more trips to Home Depot. But I love to help... But I love to work with them. Why? Well, because I love them. And now they're with me and they're learning together and we're doing it, right? It's harder. And sometimes don't we ask, Lord, could you, just, could you just do it? Like, we're trying to do it, but couldn't you just do it? In his wisdom, he's chosen to allow this process where we're serving and we're working and we're failing and we're going back to him for help and we're being filled with the Holy Spirit. God thought this was the best way. So don't think when I'm saying that this, I'm not saying failure like, oh, we need to be down on ourselves. I'm saying we can recognize, Lord, I'm too weak to accomplish this. And if you're waiting around for me to accomplish it, to come back, it's not going to happen. But when I believe in the imminent rapture of Jesus, I know that, hey, if I do what he's telling me to do, at any moment, he could say, you know what? We're good. You've, you've done it. I am, I'm ready. I'm going to come. We're going to be done here. And I'm going to bring about my kingdom that Jesus will bring about. And that is encouraging. If he's coming like a thief in the night and we see throughout Scripture that the last days are going to be filled with this evil and apostasy, we can actually reject the idea that the church will bring, out God's, bring about God's earthly kingdom by her own hands before his appearing. So what do we do instead? Well, we believe that the remnant are supposed to remain. Right? The Bible says we occupy until he comes. We're to remain at our post, stay here, do the things he's left us to do, work hard in the power of his Holy Spirit, preach his word, Disciple the saints, evangelize, work to save lost, and wait until he calls us. That's pretty much all you got to worry about. I can, look, that's a short list. I, can take, I think I can take care of that. Jesus can help me with that, right? I, I, that is something I can accomplish. You mean I'm just going to focus on these things and, and Jesus is going to take care of all that craziness out there? Yeah, that's it. That's about all you got to worry about. Now, let me tell you, that's encouraging. Especially if you've come out of, of feeling that you've got to be worried about all this. What about this? And this is going on. And we've got to fix the this and get rid of the that. Because you think that it's up to you to fix the brokenness that's going on. That can be a real problem. And a lot of people, when you say this, I'll be honest, some people will have some objections to this. What are some of those objections? One of the objections I hear all the time is people will say, so you're saying God's church is going to fail. Well, hang on a second. I'm not saying God's church is going to fail. Right? I'm, not, I'm not saying that God, the, what, what is God doing through his church? He's saving souls. He's bringing about, you know, he's, he's, he's providing a place where people can be healed and made right with God. Is that project going to fail? No. There's no way that's going to fail. Why? Because Jesus is doing it through us. The power of the Holy Spirit is accomplishing that. That's not going to fail. God's remnant is going to be preserved no matter what persecution happens. We're going to stand triumphant. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm going to provide for myself a spotless bride. He, he promises all that stuff on his righteousness, on his character, thankfully, not mine. 
So I know that's going to happen. I'm not worried about that. There's no way for the gates of hell are going to prevail against Jesus' church. That's not going to happen. And that is why, by the way, like we talked about with the restrainer, that's why we believe we're going to be removed before the judgment. If Jesus kept going on and leaving us here, even though we stumble and we're failing and we're making mistakes, if he left us here with the presence of the Holy Spirit in each of us doing this work, the, the Antichrist would not show up. Why? Because we're here. Not because we're special, but because the Holy Spirit is restraining him through the work that's going on. Even though you sometimes look at it and say, Lord, I don't know, this doesn't look great to me. God says, yep, but I'm using it to restrain the Antichrist. It's working. Doesn't look, it doesn't look like it's working to you. You, you might be discouraged and be like, yeah, but Lord, like, have you been down here? And he's like, yes, I know. But guess what? I'm still doing my work. I'm still restraining the Antichrist. He removes us, right? It's almost like at some point we're still fighting, we're doing this stuff, and he's like, you gotta, come on, you got to be done now because I'm about to execute this judgment. So he chooses to remove us at that time. Now, otherwise, this unrestrained evil wouldn't be able to wash across the world, which kind of tells us, hey, if you think it's bad now, Right? We look out and we get discouraged. Oh, it's never been so bad. Let me tell you. First of all, yeah, it has. <laughs> Trust me, it has. Read, read some history. It's, it's been pretty bad. Second of all, th praise the Lord. We won't see what bad looks like. This is how the world is when the restraining force of the Holy Spirit is at work and the gospel's going forward and people's lives are being changed. It could be way worse. And praise the Lord, we get to be part of the solution. Even now, right? Is it the final, the wonderful, actual kingdom that Jesus is going to bring about? No. But we get to be a part of what he's choosing to do right now in the way that he's choosing to do it right now. So, but again, people will say, but you're still, you're saying the church is going to fail because we're not going to bring about God's kingdom. Well, is it failing if you're not doing what it wasn't your instructions and your job to do in the first place? That's why it's really important who is going to bring about God's kingdom. That's why, that's why all this stuff we've been talking about this weekend is so vital. What you believe, even about the order of how these things happen, it will change the way you minister. It'll change the way you live your life. Because if you believe that, well, first we've got to set up this kingdom, we've got to get everything good, that everything's going to get better and better, there's going to be progress, there's going to be this spiritual golden age, and then Jesus is going to come back, if that's what you think, and you see the church failing, then you're failing. Why? Because this was my job. Jesus left me to bring the kingdom, and I'm not bringing it. What's happening? You're failing. But if you believe, I'm supposed to stay here and do the work that Jesus left me to, of serving him, raising my family to love him, staying with him and not leaving him, doing the work of the ministry, doing all these things. And Jesus said he's going to take care of the nations. He's got that. Jesus is going to figure out all, the, all that stuff. He told me he's going to worry about it. And then I see all that stuff going on a certain way. In a sense, I get to say, well, hey, Lord, that's not my job. You said this was my job. I'm here. And you told me that that was what you were going to take care of. And so if something goes away that I don't like, it's not failing if that's not what Jesus told me to do. So now, we, if, now, if we're going to define failure according to what I want, well, I want the church to be triumphant. I want the church to be lifted up and seen as this power. Okay, well, is that what Jesus said he wanted? It might not be fun for me if that's not what I want, but that's not the same thing as failure. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 8 says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. 
Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will do so until he's out of the way. And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So, whose job is it to kill all the lawlessness in the world and bring about the kingdom from that verse that I'm hearing? Sounds like Jesus nails all that after I'm not here. Which is really encouraging because I was worried about it. It's like that big assignment at the end of the year. I'm like, that's going to be a doozy. <laughs> at some point, we're going to have to kill the lawless one and do that. sounds really tough. But Jesus says, now, I got that one. You just hang out here. Do what I've asked you to do. Occupy, serve, minister, be persecuted, die. <laughs> this is hard enough, right? We got to, look, this is a lot right here. We, we got a, a bunch to take care of. And if we do that, Jesus says, I'm going to go ahead and take care of the removing the lawless evil after I've removed the restrainer. I'll take care of that. Now, that's, that's very encouraging. Well, that's failure. Doesn't seem like to me. Seems like Jesus has got this. Seems like Jesus is going to win. The victory comes. It's just maybe not in the order that I wanted it to be in. If I felt like the part that I was going to play was going to be a certain way and I'm not seeing that, that might be failure. But we've got to define success and failure according to Jesus' kingdom terms. You don't think the disciples thought that Jesus dying on a cross was failure? <laughs> Trust me, there's some, some, you know, we've talked about it before. There's some bummed guys <laughs> who are sitting there saying, that is not success. That is not what I thought the Messiah was going to do. And they, but it's because they didn't know what the, how the kingdom was going to succeed. And we need to be careful that we don't fall into that same thing. Uh, other objections that will come, some people will say, but Jesus said the kingdom was among you now. Right? As he said, no, the kingdom is among you. It's right, it's right here. So we are the kingdom. We're bringing the kingdom. The kingdom's happening right now. Okay, this is a little bit better one. Because yes, that's exactly what Jesus said. And, that, and there is a sense in which that is true. When people say, yeah, but the kingdom's here now. It's here. Yeah, that's right. Like I said, look. We're advancing Jesus' kingdom. This is the way God, in this dispensation, this is the way that Jesus is going to choose to advance his kingdom, through his church. That is true. And the Holy Spirit is within us. Wherever we go, the kingdom goes. That's pretty cool too, right? Sometimes if you feel inadequate to do something Jesus has, has called you to do, just sit there in your car before you go out of that conversation or whatever and pray and say, look, Lord, I don't want to go in there. You go in there. I'm just going to follow you. <laughs> we're going, and we're going to bring the Lord's kingdom to this place. And that's encouraging. You'll be, you'll be ready to go when you realize, look, Jesus is sending me. That means he's, he's here with me. He's taking his kingdom into this scary place where I don't want to go, wherever that is, right? Okay, that's all, that's all very true. But you know what that means? That we should not be looking for a visible governmental solution to the world's problems through the church in this age. Because that's not what Jesus has said is the kingdom solution in this age. He was pointing his disciples. He's saying, no, no, look, I'm here. This is the kingdom right here. You're looking over there. You're looking at the Antonia Fortress, looking down at the Temple Mount, saying you can do this and do that. That's not where the kingdom is. The kingdom is right here. It's in the midst of you, and you're missing it. And that's what he was encouraging both his disciples and the Pharisees. We could do the same thing if we say, yeah, no, the kingdom's here. So we're going to build it bigger and better, and we're going to fix this government thing. But that's not where the kingdom is. Right now, until Jesus returns, the kingdom is what the church is accomplishing to spread the gospel. That's the work. And, and Jesus' coming was in love and grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is going to advance in this way. And some of his disciples had to learn that. He had a zealot. A zealot was excited about moving the kingdom forward. How do you think he was going to do it? With the dagger he kept on him 24-7. That's what that guy had been raised up to believe. And Jesus took that away from him and said, no, I'm moving my kingdom forward this way. 
You don't think that was hard for him to realize, hang on a second, this is not the rabbi that I wanted. <laughs> I wanted somebody who was going to roll in there and take care of this, but that's not how Jesus chose to advance his kingdom. Now, his last objection. What about all the prophecies? What about all the prophecies of God's people ruling the world and his kingdom coming physically? Hey, great question. I'm excited. We talked about those. There's stuff in there that you read and you're like, this sounds like something out of a science fiction book. This is intense. This is cool stuff. I'm excited for this. Yeah, me too. Those are promises that in many cases are given to God's chosen people, Israel, that will be fulfilled through the millennial kingdom after the rapture and the tribulation. Order is important. Who the prophecy was given to is important. If you want to allegorize basically the entire Old Testament and lots of parts in the New Testament, then these things can be fulfilled by anybody. Sure. But yeah, yeah, the kingdom now is, is the church. And wherever the church is, we take the, the land that God has given. You can make that say whatever you want. But here's the problem. The prophecies and the way that they were intended with the language, the way it was intended to be understood, can only be fulfilled in Jerusalem by Jews. He's not the son of David unless he's the son of David. He's not seated on David's throne unless he's where David's throne is. The city of David is in Jerusalem. <laughs> he can't rule with a, you know, his people with a rod of iron unless he's ruling his people with a rod of iron. As I understand this literally and simply, the way for that to be fulfilled has to involve Israel, that place, that physical place. Well, we've replaced them. All right, show me. Romans doesn't seem to say that. Paul seems to say that we can't look for this physical fulfillment of all the promises that were given to God's chosen people until Jesus brings it about. And so am I excited for those things? You bet I am. Those things are exciting. But if I in not seeing them happen, decide, you know what, actually I think whatever's going on there is already happening with me. That might encourage you for a minute, but look, you're going to want Jesus' kingdom for real. <laughs> I love coming to church. I love ministry. I love serving. But if this is Satan being bound, if this is a heavenly city with streets of gold and pearl gates and I'm going to live, I'm living for so long that sometimes I forget to die and it, I don't think this is that. <laughs> this is disappointing. If this is the fulfillment of those prophecies, I'm bummed. I feel cheated. I want those to actually be fulfilled. There's some crazy stuff in there that Jesus said he was going to do. And you know what? If, like we've talked about, if Jesus is going to cheap out on his promises to his chosen people, then how can I trust him to fulfill anything that he said to me? So I want, I want the whole thing. I don't want to settle for like, well, if you, if you turn it upside down and look at it this way, it's, you already got it. Uh, I'm not happy with that. Now, one of the biggest struggles that people have when you say this is they say, well, but you're saying, right? We're talking about this. The, the, this is, no, no, no. The church is now God's perfect solution to this. It's, 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 we're working. It's happening. Here's the thing. And I am going to read a little bit of a quote from somebody. This is from that Reynold Showers book we talked about. This is about how we understand that all these dispensations, right? Every way that the Lord has worked, these dispensations have not succeeded in man's flesh. We have not kept the bargain in any of these cases. But yet we come to the church age and we say, no, it's okay, we got this one, Jesus. This time, we're going to keep the bargain. We're going to do it. We're going to bring the kingdom about. We don't have a right to expect that from Scripture, though. He says, man's responsibility during the church age is to obey God on the basis of human conscience, the restraint of the Holy Spirit, human government, promise, and grace. This responsibility subjects man to the following test. Does man obey God on the basis of these five factors? Man fails the test of the sixth dispensation. The majority of unsaved Jews and Gentiles do not accept the gift of righteousness. Organized Christendom does not fulfill the Great Commission. 
Maintain a pure membership. Discipline unruly members. Prevent false teaching from existing. Or contend earnestly for the true faith. Individual believers do not always live sensible, godly lives. Associate with a local church. Evangelize and make disciples and use spiritual gifts properly. I think we've all experienced some of that. Now, he's not saying, no, right? is he saying none of this happens? No, but he's saying, look, if this was up to our physical keeping of it, it'd be like the law. And the law was you get all 613 right or none of it counts. If, if our dispensation was going to bring about Jesus' kingdom, we'd have to do these things perfectly. These are the instructions he's left us with. And we can't. We keep failing. And so if we can't do it, then we can't bring about the kingdom. It's that simple. And just like with the Jews, our salvation is going to be by grace. God's going to look at our best efforts and say, I have given you my son's righteousness. That's enough for you. Which is good. And that's encouraging sometimes when you finish teaching or you finish doing something, you say, that was my best effort, unfortunately. <laughs> that's all I got, Lord. And the Lord says, you know what? That's why I've given you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to do what I wanted to do with it anyway. Right? Isn't that encouraging? When you mess up at home, you mess up in your marriage, you mess up at work, and you get to say, Lord, will you please do something with that? That's exactly the situation we are as the church. We don't have to look to the outward and say, well, we're messing up, so it must be failing. It's not how Jesus sees it. It's not what Jesus has said is success. Now, Jesus is going to bring about what he wants to bring about through us. And if you're struggling with this and you're saying, no, 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 I really think, and I, I have compassion for this because this used to be me, what I'm going to describe. No, but you don't understand. This time, what, what we have is we have representative government. So we're going to fix it this time. Right Before, it was really hard. We couldn't get it. So this time, we can vote. So it's different this time. We're going to do a different go-around. We're going to get the right legislators, the right people in place, and we're going to fix it. Brother or sister, God gave his chosen people a perfect system of laws and governance to rule through a theocratic state. Their king reported to God. They had God's perfect law. He said, look, this is the problem isn't my law. The problem is you. My law is perfect. It is, if you kept it, it would save you. You just can't keep it. They had everything why are we thinking the church will succeed where, where they failed? How arrogant is that? That we think, oh yeah, I know that your chosen people really messed up. But here's the thing. They just hadn't been in America yet. We got it. We're going to do it. This year, we're going we're gonna to fix it. We're going to make the right set of laws. We're going to get rid of those people that we don't like and we're going to make it happen. Let me set you free from that. We won't. That burden is like the law. You cannot keep that law. It will break you. It will break you. You will, you will suffer under anxiety and discouragement until you realize that you need the grace of Jesus. So please, let go of that. If you, if you look at these things from an outward perspective and you say, that's failing, that's compromise, you're not fighting in the public square, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Look, that's failing if Adam and Abraham and Moses and the early church failed. Sure, if that's failing, I'm in good company. I'm, in, I'm in, right in there in, in Hebrews with the hall of faith. Did those people win in an earthly sense? No, but the Bible says they're people of whom the world was not worthy. Right? So I don't want to be looking at them from worldly eyes. Now, I've, we've talked about this a little bit, but I do want to say very clearly, there are some dangers to this expectation that the golden age is going to happen and then Jesus is going to return. There are some struggles that I have with that that I think are not the best way to look at Scripture. And the reason is it, it works out some bad things in our theology and in our ministry, I believe. Where did this view come from? We talked about this a little bit in the workshop I did. This is not how the early church believed about the teachings of, of especially John. We, we know disciples who spoke to John and they said, you know, John thought it was going to be a real thousand-year kingdom that was going to happen after Jesus took us out and then he fixed things and then he brought us back. That's what John thought. 
You know, the guy who was on Patmos and got the vision, John, John thought that. <laughs> and that was what the early church believed for 300 years. Well, when did it change? It changed beginning with Constantine when the church stopped looking forward to a literal millennial kingdom because they thought their earthly kingdom had come triumphantly. Thank you very much. We got it. Rome's good. Look at Rome. We've got a Christian emperor. We're good. We've done it. Look, it's the kingdom. It's here. And, we're in, and when they did that, they began to desire to remove the, the Jewish roots of their faith because they said, you know what? They've been persecuting us for long enough and now we're on top. We're in charge now. Those promises, they're ours now. This is, we, we did it. We're, we're the kingdom coming right here. All those promises have come for us. Jerusalem's not important. Rome's important. We're in danger of doing the same if we look to the earthly circumstances for our kingdom hope, and then we accept a theology that concludes there's no role or hope from Israel. Or, and we can do this too, that there's a distorted or improper role or hope for Israel, right? That can happen too. This is a quote from Scott Aniol. He says, Expanding the Great Commission to include more than simply making disciples almost always results in failure to fulfill the mission Christ gave to his church. I've experienced that in my life. I, can, I, I concur with that. When we say, you know, the Great Commission is discipleship plus uh, this cultural thing we want to accomplish. The Great Commission is discipleship plus I really, really like this way of governing. The Great Commission is anything plus the mission Jesus has given us. One of them is going to get neglected. And we're human beings, so I can bet which one it's going to be. And there are several schools of thought right now, and they come from different places in the church. From some people, it's more of a, a dominion uh, theology from a reform point of view, or even a hyper-dominion, like a, a Christian reconstructionist point of view, where a Christian reconstructionist would literally say, you know, yes, not only is the church now Israel, but America is now God's chosen people. And they would teach that all we've got to do is fix this nation and God's going to bring it all back. Now, brother or sister, I, I, I grew up thinking in this way. And I became very discouraged when I recognized that we weren't winning. Seemed like America was not getting closer to the golden age that I was expecting I needed to help bring about. And this same thing can happen, by the way, in a more Pentecostal. There's a movement called the New Apostolic Reformation that teaches that, look, if we bring about a spiritual golden age, if we work hard enough to bring about a big enough move of the Holy Spirit, then Jesus can come back. Well, what happens if Jesus doesn't show up in your prayer meeting on Sunday? Are you moving a step backwards towards the rapture? Like, that seems really discouraging. That seems really me-centered. These things point us back to ourselves rather than looking to Jesus as the author and finisher and the soon hope for our faith, and, and it's damaging. I don't think that it's the way that God intended us to understand the kingdom. These things, first of all, we, we've tried all of this for years. Guys, the, the, you know, the government and the church were united for a very long time in history, in European history. We gave it a good shot. It didn't go super great. We've tried that. We've tried working really hard to fix this nation that we live in. We've tried that. We've tried trying to work up spiritual fervor to bring Jesus down. We've tried those things. Not only does it not accomplish what it's supposed to, it turns the attention and the passion and the obsession of all of us towards things that could better be focused on the humble, simple work of building the church, teaching, making disciples, waiting in hope for Jesus appearing. This, this really... I don't remember who taught me this first, but it really changed my life when somebody explained this to me. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 through 45, this is a prophecy. You just got that statue and all these things are happening. All these kingdoms, this kingdom, that kingdom, the world's system is going on. And in verse 44 it says, In the days 
of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. This teaches me that it's a stone without, who's the stone without human hands? That's Jesus. It's not me. I'm not in that. That's Jesus. Jesus is breaking the kingdoms. Jesus is fixing what, what man has built up and bringing his own kingdom. That's great news for me because it means that I don't have to do that. But it also is a warning, which means I shouldn't be found putting my hand to what Jesus said he was going to do without human hands. That's not good for me. I'm not supposed to be in that picture. Okay. That can be a little bit, I understand. Some of this is encouraging, right? It's a big weight off our shoulders, but it can be a little discouraging. What I am saying is, yes, I, Christian, I believe, do I believe that there will be a revival before Jesus comes back? I've, I've been praying for it all the time. I want revival in our church and in our city and our nation. I want all those things. And you know what? I believe that those things could happen. Jesus does these things periodically. There's, there's limited revival and all these things happen. Of course I believe that'll happen. Do I believe that things will outwardly become more wonderful and more peaceful and more excellent before Jesus comes back? I don't believe I have the freedom to believe that from a simple reading of Scripture. Now that can be a little discouraging. Well, what am I supposed to do? We're just supposed to keep losing and losing until we lose? Well, no. Actually, we have a pretty cool mission from Jesus. It's just not maybe the mission that we thought we wanted. It's maybe not a mission that's gratifying to us, but it's what Jesus has given us. The rapture, belief in the imminent rapture, it allows me to believe that the church is going to be victorious, according to Jesus' standard, that there's literally no way for us to lose. And people can point, and goodness, you don't think people outside the church have been pointing at the church for years and saying, look at you. Oh, you're, oh, you're Jesus' bride, huh? Well, check it out. Look how it looks. Looks pretty messed up. Looks like you're not doing, that. you're treating people this way. You've been doing this. That guy's in sin. This is going on. You think people don't like to mock? But guess what? I get to point and say, yep. Looks like Jesus is about ready to come back. That's going to be cool. <laughs> Jesus said, hey, when, when things are, are hard and when I feel like we're losing and we're losing ground, he said he's about ready to, he's at the door ready to come back. I'm excited. Am I excited that those bad things are happening? Absolutely not. I, I weep over those. I ask the Lord for forgiveness. But I am excited that Jesus is going to come finish the work. I sure am. You can't, you can't hurt me with those things. You can't say, well, it looks like your human church is doing human things. I know. Dispensation 6, like dispensations 1 through 5, like, I expected that to happen. You know what else I expect? I expect that Jesus is going to actually finish all that work. He said he's actually going to bring a real kingdom that I'm going to see. You and me are going to be present in that kingdom. We're, we don't even know what we're going to be like. Jesus said he was going to do that. And when he said that there was going to be a mess beforehand, seems like it's happened. Guess what I believe is also going to happen then? <laughs> he prophesied this. He's going to, that he's also going to bring about. Right? So that he's going to bring about his, he's going to fix what he's done with his chosen people. He's going to bring them into their land. He's going to do all those things. Jesus is going to remove us when things look at their worst for us. That means I don't need to fret and worry. He's promised to be faithful to me. I do believe in the victory of Jesus' church. I believe it's going to be a fighting retreat. <laughs> I believe, you know, you, it's kind of one of those things. Look, if you watch war movies a lot, I, I like a good you know, World War II movie. Those are fun, right? But they're all pretty similar. 
right? Because you've got the tropes, you know, and you've got different things that happen. Because we're telling these stories that are important to us, they're historical stories, they're good for us to remember. Sometimes we like to think that we're going to be in the Normandy Beach situation, right? We're going to hit the beach, we're bringing all the big artillery, we've got, I want you to send planes over there, I want you to make that go away, I want you to move through that road, and we're bringing everything we've got. We've got these battleships, we're just bringing the heavy artillery. That's, that's where I want to be. I'm there with Jesus. Jesus is sending me on, and we're winning. We're going to roll this town up, and we're going to fix that, and finally we're going to get there, we're going to do it. But right now, that's not how Jesus has said he's going to use me. He says, that's great. What I want you to do is I'd like you to be the French resistance scene in the movie. Can you do that? Can you do that for me? Can you be the behind the lines guy running around with no help, no food, no line of supplies? There's only five of you left and you've got, you know, three bullets between you. Can you be that guy? Now, I don't like to be that. I say, no, Jesus, I don't want to be that guy. But here's the thing. These are, these are the orders we got. This is how Jesus told us where to remain until he comes. He said, I want you to be faithful even when it may not look from the outside that you're accomplishing what you want to accomplish in the way you want to accomplish it. Can I do that? I think I can. If I have the Holy Spirit, I think I can do that. That is the calling that he's given us. We believe in a real physical kingdom that's set up and governed by Jesus. And you know, lots of times people say, oh, you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture because you don't want to think you have to suffer. Man, there's going to be suffering enough to go around before we get there. <laughs> don't worry. If you're worried about suffering, we, we'll have that. It is going to be suffering to serve Jesus in this way. We may not be looked at as doing great by people's standards. We may, we may be mocked even sometimes by believers for the way that we choose to serve. Oh, all you're going to do is just preach the gospel, huh? You don't think the world's bad out there? You don't think there's things to do? I do. Just preach the gospel. The Bible says that's a shame and a stumbling block to people, but he says this is what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> so yeah, I know there may be some suffering in that, but these are the orders that we've received. And even when they don't seem glamorous to us, Jesus has said that this is what's going to bring about the glory of the kingdom. John 9, 4-5 says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Right now, Jesus is the light of the world through us. Now there's going to be a time when he's going to be visible. Like you can go to a place with latitude and longitude in, on the planet and you can see Jesus. And I'm going to be there. It's going to be really awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Until that time, I'm supposed to be the light of the world. I'm supposed to be the salt. I'm supposed to be the light. I'm supposed to be out there doing the things that Jesus is asking me to do. Spreading the gospel. To, to prepare for that. Now, just because Jesus has told me, hey, just so you know, some people will not listen. Actually, a lot of people won't listen. He's tried to prepare me for that, but that shouldn't discourage me. It's preparing me for what it's going to look like. The kingdom of God has always advanced, invisibly sometimes, against the challenges that are brought by the world, against persecution by the visible powers and the authorities. You know, for 300 years, the believers looked at Rome and they said, there's no way, I bet, right? I said, look, okay, so now we're supposed to go evangelize Rome. Do you know what they're like over there? But then Jesus flipped it upside down through a couple people, a lot of whom suffered to get there, right? I think Jesus can accomplish it. I think Jesus might want to accomplish it, though, in a way that I think isn't possible. He might not want to go through the front door of, well, I'm going to change all the government. I'm going to do this. He might want to go through the back door. And Paul said, there, there are many who are saved in Caesar's household. I love that because that was before Caesar was saved. But Paul said, God's got folks in Caesar's household. God knows what's up. God's getting people saved. He, God works in that way, and he's always worked in that way. The gospel has always advanced. It will continue to advance in the future. God, through his Holy Spirit, will bring about a harvest of souls from every tribe as the reward for the sufferings of his Son. He said it's going to happen. You read it in Revelation, so it's going to happen. Right? In order for him to bring that kingdom, he says, I'm going to bring all of these people from every... That's going to happen. So I get to be a part of that, even if I maybe 
see a failure here or something not working out the way I wanted to there. This releases us from the overwhelming pressure of defeating the powers of this world dominated by the prince of the power of the air. And that's good news. That means that I don't have to sit here wired into my machine watching everything Satan's doing. Well, he's over here. Now he's doing that. Can't you see how he's doing that? Yeah, he's doing all that. <laughs> I believe you. Right, he's doing stuff you have no idea about. But guess what? It's not my job to watch him. Jesus has got his eye on him. He's got that covered. What is my job? I'm, I show up and I teach the word and I serve my kids and I love my family and I go meet my neighbors and talk about Jesus. That's pretty much my job. Oh, well, that's not big enough. Well, talk to Jesus, man. I mean, he told me this is the job that I've got, right? This is, this is Jesus' orders for me. It may not be big enough for me even sometimes. I might think, no, there's better ways. I've found that every time I start saying that, I get myself in trouble. I found that the moment that I say, Lord, this is not enough, Jesus sometimes has to reprimand me and say, it is absolutely plenty for you. <laughs> Thank you. Please do this thing that I left you to do, and then we'll, we'll give you some more instructions when you finish. You know, your parents ever give you a task, and, and you, they say, look, when you're done with this, come back and get more instructions, right? And sometimes I feel like we leave before we're even done. I say, no, Jesus, there's this over here. And Jesus is like, you're not done. <laughs> like, finish this. Do the thing I asked you to do. Can I exhort you to let go of the responsibility to stare at the chaos that's out in the world and worry it back? Because I promise you, you can't do it. Right? We don't have to worry about that. We have to be concerned about our Father's business. Isn't that what Jesus said? He says, I'm concerned about my Father's business. My Father's told me what to do. He said, I want to be here right now. And people would say, Jesus, but what about over there right then? He says, that's not what my Father's told me to do. Jesus said that. He could have done anything. He's everywhere. He could have been everywhere in front of them. But he said, nope, I'm going to be here right now because that's what my Father told me to do. That's the way Jesus accomplishes his kingdom. Can I encourage you to take up the weapons that you have and fight the good warfare in the Spirit? It is literally the only way that you can accomplish the things that Jesus has asked you to do. There's lots of other good things for you to do with your life. And you're called to do those things. The Bible says live decently, live peaceably, work hard, don't owe, don't owe anybody anything, don't be a thief, don't do all those things. Great, I agree. But to bring about the kingdom, the only tools that you have are in the Spirit. That's what you've been left with. That's it. We've got prayer, we've got the ministry of the Word, we've got the spiritual gifts, we've got the things that Jesus has given us. That's the tools that we have. And how do I know that? Well, you've got Paul's instruction to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. And we'll close with this. Timothy, you remember, is a bit of a timid guy, we think. So he's probably looking at things and he's like, Paul sent me over here and this looks crazy. It's not getting better. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little concerned about this. So what does Paul say? He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. This is starting in verse 1 from chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Oh, okay. So Jesus, charging you by Jesus appearing, by Jesus' kingdom, who's going to judge the living and the dead. This is all cool. This is cool prophecy stuff. Because of all those truths, what am I supposed to do? How am I, what am I supposed to do to get ready? How, what are we going to go vanquish? How are we going to prepare the way for his kingdom? Preach the word. Oh, <laughs> right. Hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. I, I was excited. I, I thought you were going to tell me some new stuff. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Well, that's not exciting. I'll be honest with you. Because I've, I've preached the word before. I've taught my kids before. I've reproved. I've rebuked. I don't always do it with patience, but I've tried. I've done all those things. I was hoping that my involvement in Jesus' kingdom would be a little different. 
And it would, you know, it would look maybe a little different to my neighbors. So they know, oh, that's one of Jesus' kingdom people. You can tell because, like, there's the little halo that he gets, right? <laughs> I would love that. But Jesus says that these are the things that I'm supposed to do. And he's left, you know, Paul has left this charge in the presence of God by his appearing in his kingdom. He's saying, hey, in the light of the fact that Jesus is going to accomplish his actual, real, future kingdom on this planet, this is what I want you to do until we all meet up there and, and we can talk about all the stories we've had. And he says then, he says, hey, verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We're talking about this apostasy, right? It's, it's not always going to be easy, Timothy. It's going to get worse. People are going to stop listening. They're going to say, no, I'd prefer this other story. That's what they're going to start doing. But as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What's so cool about believing that Jesus is going to accomplish all this is number one, I can look at the world and I can be honest about what, what is going on out there. I can say, yep, I agree. I don't have to turn it upside down and say, no, really, if you look at it this way, Satan is bound. Don't look like that to me, man. Looks, looks like he's pretty unbound right about now. I can be honest about that. But I also don't have to let that get me down. Why? Because this is exactly what Jesus told me was going to happen right before he showed up. And that is encouraging. And because Jesus has given me a set of instructions and said, can you, can you just do this for me? Can you do this part? Oh, Jesus, that part doesn't look as fun. And I would really love the visible successes and the excitement and the everybody you know, writing in the news about how the church is conquering everything. Yeah, but can you do this part? I have a simple task that I think I can do in the power of the Holy Spirit. I've seen Jesus do that through my life. I've never seen Jesus change a whole government structure through my life. But you know what I've seen? I've, sometimes I've taught the word and Jesus has changed one person's life. That's pretty cool. That's actually kind of addictive once you start doing that. You're like, wow, Jesus can use me to accomplish his kingdom. That's amazing, right? So that I know I can do. And then I can just be expectantly waiting, like Paul says, for his glorious appearing. He says, look, we're going to be rewarded. Jesus is going to work. Don't you know? And that's where Paul gets lost and he goes off real long like I'm doing about right now. And he says, hey, you know, don't you know these things that the Lord's going to do? Yeah. Jesus is going to accomplish all those for sure. I know he's going to do those. And he's given me a role to play in the meantime that he's asking me to do in just serving and being faithful and being patient and doing the things he's asked me until he comes, which is really exciting because as I'm seeing him accomplish that in small ways, I know for sure, look, if he's saving my kids, sanctifying me, doing these things, he is going to accomplish his actual real kingdom, and I'm going to get to be a part of that too.